0: Uh, as many of you know, the, the Vineyard is a church planting movement. Uh, the overwhelming majority of our nearly 600 churches were started in much the same fashion as we are. A sending church sent out a group of people into a community that didn't have a vineyard or, or one at least nearby, and they started another vineyard. And so you are now experiencing the fruit of church planting. And this weekend, as a church planting intensive, people who are thinking about, considering, praying, or decided that they want to plant a church or be a part of a church planting team, come to an intensive to get intensely trained. So that's what we've been doing the last uh, several days. And it's been our privilege to have the Vineyard's National Director of Church Planting, Michael Gatlin, with us. Michael and his wife Brenda pastor the vineyard in Duluth, Minnesota, where they received a foot of snow this weekend. Like, he doesn't know because he's here enjoying the sun. Right? But uh I've known Michael and his wife Brenda for quite some time in the vineyard, and it's been a great joy to get to know him a little better and to receive the uh deposit of his ministry this weekend. And so without further ado, I just want you guys to give a A warm Peoria Vineyard welcome to Michael Gatlin.
1: Well, good morning. How you guys doing? I can't tell you how exciting it is to be in Peoria and not Duluth today. <laughs> this is like, this is absolutely amazing. I, I was, I was, uh, checking out some friends on Facebook and they were going, April, snowstorm, what's going on? And then a couple of them posted pictures and their cars were buried. And I just go, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> 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 oh. You know, when you're doing announcements and, and you get people to laugh, I've discovered that it doesn't matter if they're laughing with you or at you. That <laughs> they're still having fun. <laughs> and so, that works really well. Most of the time they're laughing at me. Hey, um, let me, let me, let me just say uh, a couple things, uh, by way of introduction and then we're gonna jump into uh, a passage of scripture here and kind of take a look at who we are as a vineyard community. But, but by way of introduction, my, my wife Brenda and I have been involved, uh, in vineyard, uh, churches and vineyard church planting and and ministry since probably the late 80s. And it was somewhere around that time that I heard about uh, a vineyard church in Champaign, Urbana, and started getting kind of connected with the leaders of that church. And, uh, and, and it was shortly after that that we ran into at a couple conferences, Ben and Tina, and over the years, I, I got to tell you guys, over the years, these are some, Ben and Tina are some of the most stellar leaders uh, in the vineyard movement. Not just in the Midwest, but, and, and so you, you guys are incredibly blessed, incredibly, um, the, the, I mean, this is a gift from God to have these guys uh, as the church planting, uh, church planters here in Peoria, as the pastors here in Peoria. It's a really, really incredible, uh, cool thing. And, uh, he doesn't know it, but over the years, just watching him and tina and seeing some of the stuff that they've designed and some of the some of the you know not not just kind of graphic stuff they designed but watching them lead worship and then watching them get up and teach it's like i i started figuring out like hey i could do this i could be like that guy that'd be kind of fun you know i'm not quite as cool looking you know there's this whole hair thing that you know is just not there in name or reality you know and and uh but it's been it's been really fun kind of being mentored by leaders like this over the years. Now, by way of introduction, one one more thing. Um over the course of this year, I, I turned like 50 something, 3 I think, and I'm about to turn 54. Over the course of this year, some of my friends in Duluth started giving me um old used sport coats and uh And I put one I'd never, I'd always just dressed like in t-shirts and jeans because I I was like, you know, a motorcycle rider, drummer kind of guy and, you know, clothing, you know, was like, well, you know, whatever you find is good. And I, I, and and Brenda started teasing me. My wife started teasing me. She was like, Michael, I don't know if you fit in the vineyard anymore because you're starting to wear sport coats all over the place. And, and, and so I prayed about it and I decided that this was my midlife crisis. (laughs) So, um, so, you don't need to wear a sport coat to go to the vineyard, but they're incredibly cool. I mean, little patches on the <laughs> sleeves, and, and you put on glasses, and you feel like a professor. I mean, I, I had somebody in church walk up to me this past weekend at Easter, and he goes, are you a professor? And I go, why, yes, I am. You know? <laughs> it was incredibly um, fun. It has nothing to do with anything else, but I just thought it was good to share with you so that you feel more comfortable, you know, and... Are are we good or is everything okay? Okay, sweet. Brenda, so now you know why they laugh at me. Um, Brenda and I moved up to Duluth, Minnesota about 16 years ago to plant the Vineyard Church up there. And. um, the the thing that you need to know, because kind of looking at me or, or listening to me today, you, you might think, wow, this guy's kind of always been like this. The, the thing that you need to know is um, I didn't grow up in the church at all. I had no idea what you people did or I guess— Us people, because I'm here now. (laughs) I had no idea what people did in church buildings. In fact, uh, I'd ridden my bicycle and then later my motorcycle and then eventually cars by church buildings. And I never once even thought about what went on inside them. I I was part of the, uh, you you know, at least 50 percent. In our town, it's more like 80 percent of the residents that never go into any kind of a church building. Any kind whatsoever. You know, I, I was part of that group. I'd never, uh, nobody had ever told me anything about God. I can't remember having one serious thought about God ever uh, growing up. Uh, I had no idea that God had a book. I had no idea that there was a Bible. I had no idea that it involved Jewish people. I had, I mean, all of this was totally brand new to me uh, when I began to hang out with a group of cool kids from a local Mennonite church at our high school. And I don't think they were like Mennonites the way that you guys are used to Mennonites in this part of the country because, like, they drove black Cadillacs, you know, instead of, like, Buggies and and they went to high school and we they had a the the pastor's kids had a ski boat and so I hung out with them and we went water skiing all the time and and um and but they began to not only just kind of welcome me into family and welcome me into community but kind of teach me how to have relationships with people how to date in a healthy way how to you know just just how to be a human in 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 a way that was actually not using and abusing other people. And, uh, over the course of just a, a year or so, uh, they introduced me to Jesus. They gave me a Bible. They discipled me. They, you know, and I'll never forget walking into the church one morning. Um, you know, they had one of those cool brick church buildings. It was Grace Mennonite Church in Dallas, Oregon. And they had this little block, you know how they put like right by the front door, there's this little block with, you know, the date that it was founded, you know, kind of carved into it. And I can't remember the date. It was like 1953 or 62 or something like that, whatever it was. And uh, I walked by and I just I'd never I'd walk by that thing like maybe eight or ten times. But I stopped and I looked at it and I'm like, What's this? And one of the guys was there, you know, handing out the, the little menu thing, the program, you know, what was going on that day kind of deal. And he was standing there and I said, like, what's this? And, um, and, and, and the guy goes, well, that's the date that this church was planted. And I go, what's that mean? And so he began to explain that to me. Years later, I'm in, um, Uh God begins to get a hold of my life, he says. I felt like he said I was walking on the beach one night, he said, Michael, you're a pastor and I said, Wrong number. (laughs) (laughs) You know the old you guys remember the old you know, phones when you get a wrong number or something like that or it's a busy signal. "Eh, eh, eh." We don't get that anymore. I miss that sound. (laughs) That was a great sound. Anyway, um, th- those of you that like, grew up way past me, you're like, "What the heck is he talking about?" Yeah. You know, just it's 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 like a mule that got stuck with something. You know, it sounds like that when you got a wrong number. That's actually going back a few more generations. I'll get back on track here in a minute. Really, I will. Just stick with me. This is fun. It'll be a good ride. And uh so. Uh, Years later, I'm in Bible college, and because I feel like God's calling me, inviting me to participate with him as a leader in church, and... and our pastor announces on a weekend, I'm going to a church, and it was similar to this, and he announces um, that we're going to be planting a new church, that he's actually raised up somebody to take his place, and he's going on to plant a new church. And I was sitting there going, I've heard about this before. You know. so I grabbed him afterwards, and I go, man, I'm going with you. What's this thing all about? And so you can tell I was somebody that was kind of adventurous, and I loved that kind of stuff. And over the years, I found myself involved over and over and over again in helping new churches get started. And then uh, fast forward a whole bunch of years. I'm living in Minneapolis. Brenda and I, um, God tricked us. Somehow we ended up in Minneapolis, Minnesota from really cool uh, Oregon, and uh, we, we get out there. And man, the first winter was brutal. I mean, it didn't get above zero for the whole month of January and half of February. And I thought, where the heck is this? You know, humans shouldn't be here. And, uh, and we're kind of going through some tough stuff. And I meet some folks who are planting a vineyard church. And when I went to their church plant, so I, I knew by this point I know what church planting is, and I'm kind of involved in it a little bit. I go to their church plant, and again, it was very similar to this. Only instead of just kind of talking about following Jesus, they actually expected us to do something with it. And they were teaching me how to pray for the sick. They were teaching me how to hear God's voice in my everyday daily life. And I had written papers, thesis papers, about how God doesn't speak today through anything but the Bible. And so I'm like, what do you mean hear God's voice? Like, what are you, you guys been smoking that funny stuff, you know, that's not legal here, but someplace else it probably is. And, and, uh, and, and so I started hanging out with them, you know, that, that joke goes over way better in Duluth. I don't know. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, um, so I'm hanging out with them and I'm learning how to do this stuff. And I finally felt like if all the churches that I'd ever been involved in, the communities that we'd, you know, been leaders of, I'd never been a pastor yet, but of all the places I'd been in, I finally felt like, wow, I feel like I'm home. I feel like this is my family. This is my tribe. Like, I, I really relate to these folks. And uh, and so th- leader after leader in the vineyard began to take me under their wing and teach me things. And it was 20 years from the time that I felt like God said, Michael, you're a pastor, and I said wrong number, to the time when they said, why don't you go to Duluth and plant a church? And uh um, I mean, it is an incredibly cool ride, and I have loved every single minute of it. Brenda and I have lived up there, like I said, for 16 years. we got three amazing kids. I found out on Facebook last night that one of my kids just made an offer on his first home. And he's like living in town and, and, uh, it's got a really cool girlfriend. I think they should just get married today and, you know, and hang out and make babies and I'd be happy and it'd be really fun. And so like we've got a really cool family. It's really just, we, we're just having a blast following Jesus and, and doing uh, what he's invited us into. And so in the vineyard, one of the things that I discovered really early on, was that you and I, as followers of Jesus, are invited to continue the ministry of Jesus. Like, one of the things that I heard really early on was that, Michael, there's only one ministry. It's not like your ministry, and then Ben's ministry, and then the Peoria Vineyards ministry, and this ministry. There's only one ministry. It's the ministry of Jesus. And every single one of us are invited to participate in it. Do you, do you remember that Jesus' first invitation to his original disciples? Do you remember what he first told them when he first invited them? Do you remember what the invitation was? Follow me. Follow me. I mean, like, how low of a bar is that? Who can't do that?
0: <laughs>
1: you know, that's like, that's like grade school, follow the leader. You know? I mean, that's, that's like really easy. Follow me. Okay, well, follow you. You know, we just like <laughs> walk like you walk, kind of. Okay, that's a really old movie. (laughs) We won't won't go there. But but I feel like that's what we're invited into. And so what I wanted to do, I don't know if you have a Bible or not, but I'll, I'll put the passage on the screen. If you have a Bible, why don't you open it up to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at the end of Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to look at the invitation that Jesus gave his followers uh, after they were following him for a little bit. He gave them an invitation to actually start to do some of the stuff that they, he was doing. And so in this passage is when Jesus begins to give them uh, an assignment, something to do. And I think that same assignment really holds true for us today. So if you have a Bible, I'm going to flip the slide. I only have two slides, so it's this one and the next one. I don't have to do this very often. Um so here here's the passage Matthew chapter 9 it's starting in verse 35 let me pray and and then we're going to read that and kind of unpack that a little bit and I think come up with some really practical things uh, for us sound good mm-hmm. Heavenly Father thank you for today right here right now for for just this kind of moment in time we're gathered together in this room we just we want to hear your voice we want to learn from you Holy Spirit, we invite you here to speak to every single one of us, no longer, no, no matter how long we've been following you, or whether we're just investigating what it means to follow you. I ask that you'd speak to every single one of us, that you would encourage us and challenge us, and that you would invite us into a deeper experiential relationship with you. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Oh, Sweet. I always get nervous when I close my eyes and I pray because I'm afraid everybody will leave. (laughs) You guys are all here. This is awesome. (laughs) This is good. Okay, Matthew 35. uh, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So let me just stop there for a minute. And, and, and let's just, I'll leave that passage on the screen and let's just make some points. Let's just find some kind of application points for our lives out of this passage. And so the first one I would make is, if we're going to continue the ministry of Jesus, uh, that somehow we need to be balanced in the way that we approach people. And so look at the places Jesus went in that passage. Where does it say he went? He went through all of the, what? Towns and villages. Towns and, villages. and so those are like different kinds of places, aren't they? I mean, like uh, one of the privileges I had this year was traveling around the country, both by plane and then gloriously by my motorcycle and, and going to like all the vineyard regional conferences. And like I was in so many neighborhoods and so many boroughs and, and, and so many parishes. I mean, and, 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 you know, people call their neighborhoods different things around the country. I don't know if you guys knew that. I didn't know that. And and, and so many different kinds of villages and towns and then big metropolitan cities and suburbs and all these different kinds of places. And different kinds of people live in all those different kinds of places. I mean, there's something about us that gravitates towards a specific sized neighborhood or city or village because of who we are or the kinds of jobs that we get or the way that we're wired. There's different kinds of people. And, and Jesus wasn't just going to like one kind of person or one kind of place. And, and I looked up the word all in the Greek just to see what it really meant. Like you know, was it like all the towns and villages, or was it like all the big ones or and in the Greek, guess what it means yeah all one <laughs> you guys are brilliant, you guys could be like Greek scholars, right, without the Greek part <laughs> um. I thought that was funnier than it was. <laughs> There's a lot of things in my head that are hilarious, you know? <laughs> and then I just sit like alone in my room laughing. And Rendy comes in, she goes, Are you okay? <laughs> I'm like, Yeah, I had a funny thought. <laughs> what was it? I go, Never mind, it's not gonna be funny to anybody else. <laughs> but so here's the deal. Ministry ministry is completely about people. That to be following Jesus and to do what Jesus did is completely about people. He was preoccupied with the humans. I mean, this is God in the flesh coming to our planet and he's absolutely preoccupied with humans. I don't know what your experience with the humans has been, but it's kind of a, like, you know, a, a good and bad, a hot and cold, a high and low, right? I mean, the humans are like, we're glad they're there when it's time to serve our coffee, but we wish they'd kind of get out of the way when we're at the stoplight and they're in the way. Or, you know, whatever the thing happens to be, we, we kind of have this love-hate relationship with one another. Jesus was completely preoccupied with humans. He loved people. And, and, and so he went to all the different places where they lived and all the different places where they hung out. Um, and, and that seems like a no-brainer, doesn't it? But I, I don't know about you. I, I need to constantly be reminded that it's the people that Jesus came for and loves. And and sometimes as we're doing churchy stuff or Christian stuff, or we're going about our business in the world, it, it seems like it seems like sometimes that we forget that it's the people that are the important thing. We, we printed up these T-shirts in Duluth based on. um uh, passage in mark where jesus is asked what's the greatest commandment and he says it's to love the lord your god with all of your heart soul mind and strength and the second is just like it to love your neighbor as yourself and so we print up these little t-shirts that just say love god love people period that that that's what we're about That that's who we are we also put it on coffee mugs and underwear and other kinds of things Or no not our underwear <laughs> I just made that part up they tease me because I well, I just go to our bookstore and I buy shirts all the time like that shirt that t-shirt and that's like all I wear is that all, all over the place and they're like Michael do you own anything else I mean do you have that printed on everything and I'm like yep I do but I'm not going to show you <laughs> I thought about getting it tattooed so that when I go swimming it's still there but I didn't do that I like pain. Jesus was completely preoccupied with people. And, and so I just wonder, for you and I, it's like, how often do we get distracted? How often are we as preoccupied with people as Jesus was? How often do we just see people as a mannequin that's holding clothes versus a, a human that God is working in their life and deeply loves at this moment? Like How often do we see that? And so one of my prayers is, God, would you just keep breaking my heart about how much you care for people? That when I see people and I'm passing by people and I'm annoyed with people and I'm, you know, all the different feelings that we have towards the humans, whether they agree with us or not, whether they're like us or not, whether they would vote the same way we do or not, would you allow us to see them the way that you see them? Would you allow us to be as preoccupied with them as you are? and so as followers of Jesus we're to care about people. So think about who are the people that in our culture today that we most quickly brush a shot, brush aside. Who who are the people in your life that you just don't notice? For me it stood out to me the past couple of years that I often at my age as my kids are growing up and stuff, don't notice little children, just little kids. I just get busy with like, you know, big stuff, adult stuff. And I just forget about kids. And I was thinking about how Jesus was being confronted at one point with um, uh, healing somebody on the Sabbath, John chapter five. And Jesus says, my father is always at work. And to this day, I too am working. And I think about one of the principles that, From me, for me, from that passage is that you'll never meet a human being in whom God's not working. And, and one of my friends deeply challenged me, like, when you pass by a child, never, never miss the opportunity to affirm them and love them and just even ask them their name. And it's like, never miss that opportunity. And that doesn't just apply to the children. That applies to like all the people. When you pass by, you know, like an adolescent gal on the sidewalk and her hair is all painted blue. Never miss the opportunity to affirm her and say, that's the coolest color blue I've ever seen in my life. Like, like, how did you get it to be that blue? That's amazing to me. Like, just don't miss that opportunity. Rather than, what do we often do? Why do you have blue hair? Like, you just, uh, oh, never mind. But you know what I mean? It's like there's really cool stuff that God's doing in people's lives. Okay. And then um and then I the next the next thing there, he went through all the towns and villages. There's a lot more we could talk about with that. It says teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And so I love the way that Jesus is balanced in his approach to this whole deal. He's teaching, he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and then he's healing every disease and sickness. So he's teaching, he's proclaiming the reality of the kingdom of God. I don't know how new that phrase is to you, the kingdom of God, but that was the thing that Jesus taught about over and over and over. When you read the four Gospels, the eyewitness accounts to Jesus' life, you'll find that his primary, almost single laser-focused message was about the kingdom. And you say the kingdom of God is like a man who's sowing seeds in his uh, field. The kingdom of God is like a, a, a widow knocking on the door, you know, of, of, a, of a judge late at night. The kingdom of God is like a, a merchant looking for fine pearls. The kingdom of God, you know, and he just goes on and on and on about this thing. And so just really briefly in 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 Michael's summation of kingdom of God type language, the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is where God gets his way. That's where he gets his way. See, when, when, you, you know that somebody's the king of a kingdom? When you step in the kingdom and the king is in charge, oh, you can't do that here. The king doesn't like that, right? And, then, then you know you're part of the kingdom. And believe it or not, you and I, every single one of us, has a kingdom or a queendom, if it were, right? We, we have places of our lives where we're the ones in charge, don't we? And sometimes we're, we're in charge of the way we're you know driving. We're in, we're in charge of the way we're treating one another. We're in charge of our households. Um, I, I've discovered as I've grown older, I'm really only in charge, really, really in charge of, of one area of my life, and that's my hair. <laughs> right? I can do whatever I want with it. Brenda was gone for a weekend. She came back once. I had it all shaved off. You know, I I was growing my goatee really long. It was like down to here, but I shaved off all my hair on my head. And she's like, what did you do? And I go, I wanted to see what it felt like, (laughs) you know, and then I really liked it. And then a guy made a rude comment to me at church the next morning. And so I left it that way for 10 years just because despite him, because it's my kingdom. I'll do what I want with it. Right? Kind of thing. (laughs) I'm, I'm that guy. (laughs) don't ever tell me I can't do something I will figure out a way to do it and so we all have that the kingdom of God grows and expands when we submit our kingdoms to his where he gets to then call the shots in our lives what would it look like for God to get to call the shots in every single area of your life and my life see that's what it means to follow Jesus and so Jesus is proclaiming this kingdom He's proclaiming the reality of it. And then he's not just proclaiming it. It says that he's demonstrating it. So he's healing every disease and sickness. And guess what? I went and looked up the word every disease and sickness to see how many of them he was healing. And do you know how many of them it was? Every stinking one. All of them. He was proclaiming and then demonstrating that he is the king. It says in Philippians 2 that in one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's the boss. He's the one in charge. And so when he leaves us, when he leaves the disciples at the end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth. That's like the whole place, right? That's like everything. All authority has been given to me. That's what he says. He's the boss. He's the one in charge. And so it's as you and I submit ourselves to God's kingdom, that God's kingdom advances and grows. The church isn't the kingdom, right? The kingdom's not the church. It's, 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 it's God's rule. It's God's active, dynamic reign in our lives. And so I have this thing that I do almost every morning when I get out of bed, if I can remember it. I, I forget things nowadays. But um, when my feet hit the floor, I like to pray this. I like to pray, God, I don't know what you're involved in today. I don't know what you're up to today, but I really want to be a part of it because I've learned that's the best place to be. And so I'm, I want to be attentive to you as attentive to he, as he is to me in my life. Psalm 139. He's attentive to every part of my life. I want to be that attentive to him today. And so whatever you're doing, I want to be involved in it. I want to go that direction. Does that make sense? And so Jesus was really a, a balanced in what he was doing. We need both of these things. You, you and I need both of these things. We need to be people of the word of God, where we're pressing into the word and we're learning the scriptures and we're growing in that. But then we need to be people of the works of God as well. Jesus was like this word worker. So he not only studied it, he not only knew it inside out, but then he did it. He did it. Does that make sense? And so, like, where is it in your life or my life that I need to press into that? You ever been in line at the movie theater or, you know, waiting for a table at a restaurant or maybe you're sitting down and eating and you just notice that somebody near you is struggling, doesn't feel well? And like, what what do we do at that moment? What do we do? We're just like, I'm eating my French toast. God, leave me alone. I don't want to do anything. You know? Or do we get up really obnoxious with a Bible that's the size of Kentucky <clears throat> and start waving it around and go, You need Jesus, and you wouldn't have a cold. And that's not necessarily true. I mean, what, what what do we do? And so sometimes it's like we feel stuck because we don't know what to do. But what if we just went up to people and said, Hey, you know what? This seems really odd, and you might think I'm really goofy, and probably I am. But um, I, I, I just noticed whatever's going on. And would you mind, if just for a moment, if I just prayed for you right now? Like, just right now? And it's really scary to do it. But when we step out and do that, we take we take this enormous risk. And then in that moment, as we just reach out... it's okay if I touch you? You yeah, won't hit me? Before. Okay. At <laughs> that moment, as we... I'm always afraid people will hit me, especially if they're tough. Um, and that when we reach out and pray for somebody, and we just touch them, like in an appropriate way, and we ask God's presence to come... It's like, it's amazing in that moment what happens. There's two things in humanity that make us feel incredibly deeply loved. One is being listened to. And the other is just being touched. Like we're, we're physical beings. And so, what if we just began every single day to ask God, what are you up to? We want to participate with you. We want to know the word. We want to study this thing inside out. We want to know this thing. But then also, we want to do it. We want to do it. Jesus demonstrating the reality of the kingdom. You know, when I was started following Jesus, I was taught that God didn't kind of He didn't do this stuff anymore. And I thought, dog, nabbit, I was born at the wrong time. And when I met these guys in the vineyard church, they go, Oh yeah, God does that here, let us show you how. I they challenged me in those early days. The next hundred people that you meet, Michael, who aren't feeling well, you pray for pray for healing right on the spot. Next hundred people. And I'm like, and I had just prayed for a couple people and seen God come really powerfully. And I, did, I didn't I did know a thing of what I was doing. And they said, do you want to learn how to hear God's voice? Do you want to learn how this thing works? The next hundred people that you see that are not feeling well, pray for them. Just take a risk and do it. The next morning, I am teaching a watercolor class in uh, Bloomington, um, Minnesota. I almost said Illinois, but in the wrong state. So I'm, I'm at this watercolor class and I'm teaching it and I had these folks walk in. One of the gals that I knew pretty well, uh, came in, sat down and she just looked horrible and she never looks horrible. I mean, she, but she just looked absolutely horrible sitting down. And so I felt like God said, and this was like Monday morning after the Sunday night challenge, right? And so I see her sitting there and, uh, and, and, um, you know, my watercolor easel is right here and she's like right over in this area. And I see her sitting there and I'm thinking, Oh no, God's gonna make me pray for her right away, you know, and I'm kind of arguing back and forth with him and I'm kind of I look over and she's just like, you know, she's disheveled and you know, like she just doesn't look like her normal self, but she got up and came to class anyway. And um and so I'm arguing with God, I'm setting up my stuff, I'm getting ready, everybody else is coming in, I'm I'm saying no, I'm not gonna do it, not gonna do it, and finally it gets to the point where I'm getting ready to start class and I feel like if I don't do something, I'm gonna be really disobedient to my heavenly father. And I don't like doing that. And so I thought, oh, no, now the class is full of people. So I go over, and I stand right in front of her table, and I go, Kathleen, are you doing okay? She goes, no, I got this migraine headache, and it's just like, my head is throbbing, but I didn't want to miss a class today. And I said, "Um, well, do you mind if I prayed for you? And I didn't put the words right now on it, you know, because I was just embarrassed, right? And everybody's now looking, what's the instructor doing? And uh, and so I asked her, "Do you mind if I pray for you?" And I don't know if somebody already taught her the Vineyard prayer model, but she said, "Sure." She stood up and put her hands out like this. And I'm like, "Oh no!" The first thing I, first thing I thought was, "She knows more about this than I do," right? And so I just I. I knew like two prayers at this point, you know, for praying for healing. And so I just touched her forehead and I said, "Holy Spirit, would you come?" And then I reminded God, "I can't do anything, but you can." Like I, I, was, I always like to remind him of that, just in case he got confused. <laughs> you know? and, and, then, uh, and then I just waited for a minute. I took my hand off her head and I said, "How are you doing?" And she goes, "It's totally gone." And I'm like, "Well, shake your head." <laughs> Like, I thought, seriously, it really is? And everybody in the class is glued in. And I'm like, it's totally gone. She goes, I feel 100% better. It's completely gone. And I'm like, are you sure? (laughs) Like, I grilled her like two or three times. She sat down. I went back to paint the watercolor. I don't remember what I did that day. I was stunned. I was stunned. I'm like, "This this stuff works. God loves people. This is amazing to do. So we do both of it. And then look at verse 36, I love this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. The the Greek word that's translated compassion sounds like a really good Italian dish. It's splachnozami, something like that. Splochnozami. Doesn't that sound like a good Italian dish? (laughs) And what it means, that word means to feel something viscerally as if it's in our bowels. It means to feel it deep down. It's not just like, oh, I feel really bad for them. That's really bad. Okay, move on. That's not what it is. This word compassion means to actually feel something really deep within. Jesus had compassion on them. Why did he have compassion on them? I don't think Jesus could look at a person without feeling something for them. You know, it is incredibly rare to have somebody as competent as Jesus feel deeply for people. If you're somebody who's been very competent in your life, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a rare gift to be really incredibly competent like Jesus, a leader, but then to feel deeply for people. That's like a rare thing, and he's got that. He's doing that, right? And that was his primary motivation for them. His his anger at the teachers of the law was their lack of compassion. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter. You know, and, and neither will you let those who are trying to. But you've neglected the more important matters of the law: justice, mercy. Faithfulness, compassion is this emotion, it's an action, it's something we feel and it's something we do. And he felt that because when he looked at people, it said that they were, what's it, what does it say there in the passage? Harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. The the Greek word harassed uh, actually carries with it this connotation of being uh, filleted wide open from stem to stern harassed and helpless, and the word helpless carries this connotation of being shoved to the ground so hard that you can't get back up. So when Jesus looks at people, like if Jesus were walk, to walk through the neighborhoods of Peoria this afternoon, he doesn't look at people and go, dude, they're doing pretty good without me. They got like, you know, a boat and seven cars and great motorcycle and look at their family and he doesn't look walk through our neighborhoods and ever think that he sees people in a totally different way. And because he does, he's moved with compassion. I was talking with a, 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 pa- a pastor at a smaller church in Duluth who was saying that Duluth was a really hard place to, to plant a church and pastor because people were doing great. I was sitting with one of our staff members. We were out at, at breakfast. He goes, nobody here needs him. They're doing great. And Michael kind of went into Michael mode. You know, first thing I did was I just dropped my fork on the plate, you know, and I go, seriously? Do you think when Jesus walks through our neighborhoods, he's like, Oh yeah, these people are great. They're doing fine without me. Why did I come to earth and die? Never, never does he do that because he sees what's really going on inside. Some of us experience being down and out. Some of us experience being up and out. That what we thought was going to meet all of our needs, we achieved it all, didn't do a thing. There's just this deep emptiness there. Is this all there is? ever felt that? you ever achieve like a really big goal and felt like, is this all there is? Man, I felt that. Even as a pastor, I felt that. You know, we pray that our churches grow and reach lots of people and everybody comes and sometimes you feel like, uh-oh, I had my hope in the wrong place. I was trusting in the success of the community rather than in all the cool things God was doing. Every one of us experiences this stuff. And so I love the way that Jesus sees people. He's balanced in the way that he sees them. He's compassionate in the way that he sees them. And then look at this, the next thing. Verse 37, then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He's optimistic. He's optimistic. To continue the ministry of Jesus is be optimistic. He's not going, oh man, how are we going to do anything? We can't do anything. This is like, we need more budget. We need more stuff. He looks out and he goes, the harvest is plentiful. I mean, everything's ripe right now. I don't think there's a better time in the history of the world on our planet to be a follower of Jesus than today. Come on. I think this is just a great time to actually be a follower of Jesus. I wish you were like in the front row every time that I was talking. <laughs> you're awesome, Clay. Come on, man. <laughs> I might have been born the wrong color cuz I just hear that. I get I get excited, you know. <laughs> oh, dude. You're sweet. <laughs> but it's like, I don't think there's a better time to be alive. There's not a better time to be following Jesus than right now. And God's got stuff that he's doing everywhere we go in all these different people's lives. It's absolutely incredible. And we get to play a part in it. Like We get to do something with this deal. We, we're invited to continue this. So uh, it's optimistic in, in this deal. And in verse 38, he says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So what's the first thing he tells us all to do? Develop a five-year plan, raise some money, do these things? No, he says pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into this harvest field. That's the first thing he tells us to do. Do you realize that's the most powerful thing you can do on the planet is pray? When people come to me and say, Michael, I want to be more involved. I go, would you pray with me about some stuff? No, 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 you understand. I want to be more involved. I want to do stuff. Would you pray with me about some stuff? There's some stuff I want you to pray about. It's like, that's the most powerful thing you can do. That changes things. When you read through the scriptures, prayer affects everything. It's amazing. Women who didn't, who couldn't have children, they pray, they pray. God gives them children. Families that couldn't do the things they wanted to do in the scriptures. They couldn't do the things they wanted to do. They pray, God directs them, he leads them, he guides them. In the midst of that prayer, it's incredible. And so Jesus, that's the assignment he gives us. It's not go out and write a five-year plan. It's not develop all this stuff. It's not write all these budgets. Now, planning and those kinds of things are great. We talked about that a lot at the Church Planning Intensive. It's powerful, powerful stuff. But that's not all there is. The first thing that we're invited into is just simply to pray about it. And then I love chapter 10, verse 1. I don't have it on the screen. Somebody that has a Bible. Read chapter 10, verse 1. Because there were no breaks when this text was originally written. Chapter 9 flew right into chapter 10. There were no barriers or markers there. Jesus called his twelve disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. So he says, Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Tag your it. <laughs> That's what he does. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into the harvest field. Now you guys come to me. I'm going to give you authority to go do all this stuff. That's it. That's what we're about. That's who we are. That we are the ones who get to continue this ministry of Jesus. And then chapter 10 is brilliant. We don't have time to unpack it. Chapter 10, he goes through and tells them exactly what's going to happen and what to expect and where to go and where not to go. And just like this whole list of things and how people are not going to like them and who who is going to like them. And he just goes through the whole thing. Chapter 10 is fascinating. But I love the way, we're just going to end it right here. I love the way that he just says, tag, you're it. And he gives them authority. Jesus hands off his authority to them in the same way that he gives it to us. And when we move into ministry time, I think God wants to just impart authority, and he wants to impart heart and desire. He wants to teach us to see people the way he does. He wants to give us his compassion and then he's just going to say tag your it, let's go. Let's go rock and roll Peoria. This will be fun. All right. Uh what do I do now? Do I pray and then you guys come yeah, up and I lead worship? Operate. Oh, take the offering, <laughs> dude. You're awesome. So, um, do you, do you want? Do, why don't you just take my place and do that? Sure. That'd be awesome. I don't know what I'm doing. Thanks, Michael. Yeah.
0: Amen. Well, Lord, I, I do thank you for your word that's been proclaimed and uh, sown into the hearts of every person here today. And uh, God, I pray for grace to receive your word that we are the workers you're sending out into the fields, the fields of Peoria and Tazewell and um, uh, Woodford and Marshall and Stark County. And then, gosh, in Iowa and Ohio and Illinois and Indiana and Wisconsin and uh, all the different places that are represented here today, and and may uh, the seed of your kingdom were just explode and come alive in our hearts. And Lord, we we want to continue now our worship of you this morning through the giving of our gifts to you. We pray your power and blessing rest upon them. And Lord, for those who have a desire but can't give, we we pray your your heavens would open and uh, cause blessing to rain upon them in the ways that uh, they're asking you. And Lord, and as we lift our hearts and hands in song, pray that you would accept these tokens for what they are, just expressions of our love for you in your name. Amen.